Good evening, everyone. Thank you, Paul and others. Uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? I was a big mumble. Let's try it again. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... We're all familiar with that phrase, obviously, but we also know that it's what? Rubbish. <laughs> it's complete nonsense. It's uh, totally inaccurate because words can and do hurt. Many of us have been in the receiving end of harsh comments and, and hurtful words. The damage done by something said can go far deeper and last much longer than the damage that's done by sticks and stones. As Tim Chastian says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can do permanent damage. What people say and how they say it, and how people speak, it, it's a massive issue. Words affirm, words encourage, words build. But we all know they also dismantle, they crush they undermine. And the number of times that people regret what they say or have to backtrack or have to eat their words, the number of times that that happens is incredible. Words matter. What we say matters. And this evening as we turn to God's Word, and don't miss that, the Word of God. Our God is a speaking God. He used words to create. He spoke the universe into existence, and He continues to relate to us and to work in us by His words. So it's no surprise that words matter. And as we continue our Keeping It Real series, James, as, as Paul has said, turns his attention in chapter 3 to this very subject. So if you have a Bible, could I invite you to turn there? It's page 1214 in the Red Pew Bibles. But as you look that up, so far we, we have listened as James has kind of identified and discussed some key and core aspects and features of true religion, authentic religion, the kind of religion that is pure and faultless before our Father. And so James has said that kind of religion, authentic religion, cares for those who are in need. That kind of religion, authentic religion, true religion, doesn't show favoritism. True religion lives out royal law. It loves your neighbor as yourself. True religion demonstrates mercy over judgment. And then last week, we thought about how true Christian faith is active. It's visible. It's seen in what we do. It's expressed in good deeds. Yes, we're saved by faith alone, but saving faith never remains alone. Faith without deeds, as we saw last week, is a breathless corpse. And those, all of those things, caring for those in need, not showing favoritism, living royal law, mercy over judgment, active faith. Those are all signs of the real thing. Evidence of true religion. 
And tonight, as we arrive at chapter 3, James introduces this other characteristic of genuine Christianity, our speech, the words we use. It's not the first time that James has flagged the issue. Back in chapter 1, and Paul has already quoted this, back in chapter 1, he said, and again, James is direct. He's straight between the eyes. He says this, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves. And then get this, their religion is worthless. One of the marks of authentic Christian behavior is controlled speech. Keeping tabs on our talk. Now, it's not It's not about never saying anything wrong or out of place or out of order. That's impossible. And as Paul has led us this evening, I'll guarantee you all of us sitting here can look back in a week and know, do you know, I've failed in this area. I have failed this week. I've failed today in this area. I've failed within the past hour in this area. So this is not about never getting it wrong, never saying something out of order or out of place. But you know what it is about? It is about being aware that what we say matters. It is about paying attention to how we talk. It is about monitoring our speech. It is about taming the tongue. So, let's stand together and listen to God's Word. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal Or take ships as an example, although they are so very large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can't both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, it's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, 
It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Grab a seat. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the first verse, uh, mainly because it's all a little too up close and personal. James begins by talking about those who teach in church, and he warns that those who teach in church are going to be judged more strictly. And I'm not entirely sure why that is, other than I can say that it's probably because those who teach in church have the capacity to do all kinds of damage. And there's no doubt that stuff can be said, stuff can be preached, it can be taught in this sort of a context that has been or is less than helpful. And I'm not entirely sure as I was thinking about this where to go with it other than to accept one that, that I am going to be held accountable for every single thing I have said up here. I know we're all going to be held accountable for the words we speak. But I'm acutely aware that I'm going to be held accountable not just for the words I speak beyond these walls, but the words I speak as I stand here. And the other thing I want to say, and I want to be selfish for a moment, is I want to ask you to pray for me and to pray for those who do teach in this church. And James goes on to say, or at least he goes on to imply in verse 2, that those who can keep their tongue in check can keep their whole body in check. So you see, this impacts life beyond the pulpit. But let's move on. Because what James goes on to say is not exclusively for those who teach. And as he develops the need to control your tongue, all of us to control our tongues, he says, do you know something? You need to understand your tongue. You need to recognize certain critical things about it. And so, like a doctor will often do, James effectively asks us to stick out our tongues so that he can explain what he sees and what we need to see about the tongue. I was going to invite all of us to do that, but I, but I decided not to. But the first thing that James sees, and, and we're going to look at four things he sees, but the first thing that James sees and points out is that our tongues are powerful. And again, as the master illustrator that James is, he provides two visual aids horses and ships. Horses can be controlled by a small piece of metal called a bit, which sits in the mouth, and it's used to direct and to turn and to manipulate the horse's behavior. You can make a horse obey you, is what James says, via this tiny thing. Same idea with ships. They're big, but they're steered by a small rudder. Did anyone see the new cruise ship that was launched this week? Harmony of the Sea. It's the biggest cruise ship in the world. Here are some of the statistics, breathtaking. This ship is longer than the Eiffel Tower is high. It's got 18 decks. 
23 swimming pools. 2,747 cabins. 227,000 tons is how much it weighs. There's no rudder on that ship. Does anyone know how it's steered? By bow thrusters. That's that little blue thing at the bottom, which in relative terms are still pretty small. So the illustration still stands. In fact, you could even argue it's better. Something comparatively small yet incredibly powerful is able to maneuver 227,000 tons. And so James makes the connection, stressing, do you know something? Your tongue is similar to both bit and rudder or bow thruster. It's tiny, but it's strong. Its effect is out of all proportion to its size. The tongue might be less than half a percent of our body weight. You're learning lots of statistics tonight. Isn't that great? The tongue is less than half a percent of our body weight, but its impact on us is enormous. One word. One word. A few words, one sentence, one comment can change or alter the path of your life. Which is why James says the tongue can determine the course of your life. The tongue is powerful. And and in a sense, I think we all get that. We know that. I mean, we've read this so many times. We've probably heard countless sermons on this text. We get that, but you could argue, yes, the tongue is powerful, but it's powerfully good. And both small things that James has referred to are good, a bit and a rudder. Their effect is by and large positive. But then James paints another visual picture which illustrates how the tongue is secondly, it's destructive. Because he goes on to say, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Most of us, I'm sure, have seen pictures or have read reports about the fires that are raging in Alberta and Canada. Let me read you one quote. The conditions that preceded the start of this fire, the current fire that is raging in Alberta and Canada, that has driven, I don't know how many thousand people out of their homes. The conditions that preceded the start of this fire were quintessential wildfire conditions, a seemingly endless supply of dry fuel on the forest floor and in the canopy, and intense heat. All that was needed was a spark. And whether it was caused by human error or lightning, once the spark was there, the fire became a beast. And using that kind of imagery, James illustrates the scale and type of impact that our words can have. And so what James says is, you see the tongue? The tongue is like an incendiary device. The tongue also is a fire. And then in the rest of just this one verse, he provides a detailed and a devastating, stating, uh, devastating breakdown of its anatomy and of its makeup. And the first thing he says is, do you know something? This tongue is a world of evil. Your tongue has the capacity for evil like nothing else. As one writer has put it, the tongue is an an entire ecosystem of sin. 
The potential for any number of world-changing horrors lies right here in our mouths. Which is why I assume John Calvin wrote, a slender portion of flesh contains in it the whole world of iniquity. It's a world of evil, says James. And secondly, it corrupts the whole body. Every other part of your body is affected by this. Every area of life is scorched and charred by its fires. Which is a bit like what Jesus says in Matthew 15, that what comes out of your mouth defiles you. See, our words wreak havoc with the rest of our lives. And thirdly, as I've already mentioned, it sets the course of one's life on fire. A few careless words can result in untold damage for the duration of someone's life. Careers have been wrecked by a few careless words. Marriages have been ripped apart by a few careless words. Conflicts have been kick-started. Decades of self-loathing have been caused by just a few careless words. It sets the course of your whole life on fire. And then the final thing he says is, it is itself set on fire by hell. See, our words are so destructive because they are in fact hellish. Some of the negative, hurtful, brutal words that we speak originate in hell. That's what James is saying. It's strong. And one of the reason James is saying this, he's saying, you need to understand this. You need to know this. So the tongue is powerful. It's destructive. And next, just to add to the dismal diagnosis, it's uncontrollable. And so James takes us to the zoo or to the circus or to the theme park, and he says all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. And if anything, we know that more than even James did. We know that all kinds of animals can be tamed and made to do tricks and do all kinds of things. But... No human being, says James, can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. The tongue is toxic. You see, if we think we can sort out our tongue and what we say by ourselves, we are barking up the wrong tree. And part of the reason why the tongue is beyond our control is because it is an overflow of our hearts. And let me explain. And so what James does as, as he begins to tease this out and say, your, your tongue's uncontrollable. And part of the reason it's uncontrollable is, is, is what I'm going to explain to you now. It's uncontrollable, and he makes the point, that, fourthly, that it is revealing. It shows what is really going on in here. Again, Paul has already made reference to this. But it shows what's going on in here. It's something of a kind of spiritual barometer, our tongues. 
the words we speak. We use words to praise God, and yet we use words to curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. There is inconsistency. Mind that gap. Anyone can rack up at a Christian service and sing the songs. Might even mean them. But if in the next breath, when the meeting is over, they take someone apart... They speak critical or judgmental words. They make a derogatory comment. They share a piece of juicy gossip about another person. Then something is not right, says Paul. And so he says, brothers and sisters, this should not be. And just to show how wrong it is, James turns to the natural world. More illustrations, master illustrator, more illustrations to help. And he says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Here's the point. A product is always consistent with its source. A product is always consistent with its source. Fresh and salt water don't flow from the same spring. Fresh water comes from one kind of source, salt water from another kind. And fruit is always in line with its source. If someone wants olives, it's no use looking for olives amongst fig trees. And if figs is what you're after, there's no point rummaging through the grapevines to find them. And it's the same with the tongue. What we say is such an issue because it precisely reflects what's going on in our hearts. The words we speak reveal the condition of our hearts. To put it in the words of Jesus, as Paul said earlier, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. If you want to know what someone is really like, if you want to know the condition of someone's heart, if you want to know the condition of your own heart, listen to how you speak. Listen to how you speak. One of uh, Aesop's fables makes a similar point. Once upon a time, a donkey found a lion's skin. He tried it on, he strutted around, and he frightened many animals. Soon a fox came along, and the donkey tried to scare him too. But the fox, hearing the donkey's voice, said, If you want to terrify me, you'll have to disguise your bray. And the moral? Clothes may disguise a fool, but his words will give him away. His words will give him away. My words will give me away. Jesus says, It's out of the overflow of your heart, David. Out of the overflow of your heart that your mouth speaks. And the main point that that James is making here is that to praise God and then to speak against someone who is made in God's likeness is not only inconsistent, but it reveals what our hearts are truly like. And the rather uncomfortable conclusion is this. Unchristian speech is evidence of a non-Christian heart. And so changing our words, and, and this, is, this is back to the bit where I said if we think we can do this by ourselves, changing our words comes about by changing our hearts. And heart transformation is not something we do. 
That's God's work. That's God's work. And so the tongue is powerful, and it's destructive, and it's uncontrollable, and it's revealing. So now what? Well, there's a few things you can take a vow of silence. It's not a bad idea. Silence, after all, is golden. Or back to verse 27 of the first chapter, keep a tight rein on your tongue. In other words, self-control is essential. When it comes to speaking, the ninth segment of the fruit of the Spirit has got to come into play. And part of that could involve, what does self-control when it comes to the tongue look like? Well, here's just one example. It means thinking before you speak. Is what I'm about to say true? Is what I'm about to say helpful? Is what I'm about to say inspiring? Is what I'm about to say necessary? Is what I'm about to say kind? That's what it means to be self-controlled in this whole area. But whenever controlling your tongue is virtually impossible, as James has said, it's uncontrollable. You kind of get a sense of the challenge we face. And the thing is, and this is really going to disappoint some people, you know this, James does not appear to offer any advice on how to control your tongue. Do you notice that? He only seems to emphasize how big a problem it is. And so he leaves us kind of reeling. But you see, the thing is, at least we're clear. At least we're clear. And part of what James is maybe doing is saying, you know, whenever you realize you've got a serious issue, if you're a genuine Christian, Whenever you realize you've got a serious issue, it's only when you've been made aware of the problem that you're going to honestly take it on board. And maybe that was James' intention. All he was wanting to do was raise awareness and remind his readers about the reality of tongue control. Now, James does go on, and it's why I read on, and some of you were probably thinking, why is David continuing to read on from verse 13 to the end? Because in some of our Bibles, it's almost like a new heading, a new paragraph, a new subject, we think. But James goes on in verse 13 to 18 to talk about wisdom. And for some people, and to some extent, you could argue that that's not an altogether unrelated issue. Because wisdom, godly wisdom, wisdom from heaven, as James refers to it, is definitely needed when it comes to our speech, isn't it? And if you look at verse 17 and the characteristics of this heaven-sent wisdom, you see and appreciate how these qualities are bound to have an effect on our speech, are bound to have a positive effect on our speech. Because if we have the wisdom that comes from heaven, the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, it's pure. If our speech was pure every time, It's peace-loving, this wisdom that comes from heaven. If we had that kind of wisdom and our speech was peace-loving, it's considerate. It's submissive. It's full of mercy. If every time I spoke, I spoke words of mercy, not judgment, not condemnation, not criticism, not passing on gossip, but consider it full of mercy, submissive, full of good fruit, full of love, joy, 
peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If every time I spoke, my speech was full of the fruit, the Spirit, I'd tame my tongue, wouldn't I? If it was impartial, if it was sincere, think about that for a moment. And I want to suggest if our speech was all of those things, then our tongues would be a lot tamer and would start a lot less fires. And back in chapter 1, James said, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given you. And maybe that is exactly what we should do regarding our words Get before God. We understand the problem. Our tongues are powerful. They're destructive. They're uncontrollable. They're revealing. I know the problem. And I get before God and I say, God, I need heaven-sent wisdom. And you've said, if I lack it, ask for it. And maybe that's the response tonight, to ask God for wisdom. Elsewhere in Scripture, there is some incredible advice regarding our words and how we speak. And as I, I bring this to a close and as we finish, what I simply want to do, and I was really struck as, as earlier when Paul got us to kind of quietly and silently reflect and, and all he then did was read Scripture to us. That actually, that, that often is all we need to do, is just hear Scripture. And I kind of need to get out of the way of that sometimes. And so as we close tonight, what I want to do is simply show you a couple of thoughts from wisdom literature, from the book of Proverbs, which has got numerous things to say about how we speak. Then I want to show you a prayer about our speech from the Psalms. And then I want to remind you of a sobering truth from Jesus. And I just want to leave God's Word resounding in your hearts and minds. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And then a prayer from the Psalms. Set a guard over my mouth. Lord, keep watch over the doors of my lips. And then the sobering words from Jesus. I tell you that on the day of judgment, gremlins in the system, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every worthless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned.